0: Well, hello again. Great to see all of you who were here. Who, who was here last Sunday? Raise of hands. Okay. And uh, great. Welcome back. Thanks for coming back. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do something a little uh, unconventional. If you're able to and comfortable and you're not socially distanced for COVID reasons... If you're able to kind of come a little bit closer, just a little, if you're, I don't I want to even single you out, just you guys and you guys, no, as much as you're able, feel free moving up, just n- not here, but come on a little closer, because I I just feel, a l- with nobody here, there's a lot of distance. So, I'm not going to force you, I just won't come back next Sunday. Uh, <laughs> so, I'm taking <laughs> I'm kidding, come on um, it is indeed uh I'll make a cut while you're getting settled and getting situated this is isn't this so much better? Uh, as you're getting settled and situated, I too am a huge uh, Minnesota State Fair aficionado. I will say this come with a lot of money for those of you who are the uninitiated. you gotta like crowds, you gotta like putting on a lot of weight. And you gotta like walking a lot, and uh, and again, just come unless you just want to look at things and not spend. You can do that as well. So, but we are very much looking forward to it. Uh, Pastor Aiden, where is he? Where are there? You are. Uh, thank you for for that welcome. And indeed, uh, as he alluded to, my wife Joanna, and she is planning on being here. Uh, next Sunday, and I think the Sunday, the, the two Sundays after that, because you're going to be at a retreat, right? Two Sundays from today. Uh, 29 years of marriage next weekend. And I'm going to be with you guys. So, hey, you know? Um, and I did single out, if you remember, I sort of took an informal straw poll. I wanted to find out what sort of church you were, sort of your ethnic makeup and uh a good number of you said you were chinese and korean i asked japan nobody nobody said japan did i leave any uh asian uh group out any asian ethnicity out or if so what what did i leave out who did i leave out that's a member here mong great great to have you here <laughs> and yeah, I'm going to single, I'm going to single somebody out in our presbytery. There's a pastor of a church. Oh, I want to say it so bad. Uh, but let's just say he's a good friend of mine, and he, and again he's a member of 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 the presbytery. So he's a sister church of yours. I went on a bike ride with him a little over a week ago, and he said, uh, "Yeah, you know, I was mentioning uh, um, in a sermon illustration." A Hmong person. I was like, oh boy, I'm going to stop you right there because you just committed a faux pas. Um, anyway, anybody else that I anybody from Singapore, Thailand, uh, Philippines, anybody? No. Uh, yes. Philippines. Great. I lived in the Philippines uh, from 80s, well, a long time ago, so... Uh, and so the last time I preached to this many Asians, well, it was last Sunday. Before that, uh, I was candidating for a pastorate in Tokyo. Talk about culture shock. Um, so I'm going I'm to extend, I'm going to take Pastor Aiden at his word. Uh, my wife and I are going to be here next Sunday, and we were talking about it this week. I said, I don't think I've ever had, both of us, uh, have ever had a home-cooked chinese meal we've had a korean meal once or twice we've had philippine meals we've never had a thai meal so i'm just going to throw that out no pressure but if you want just or if you just want to go out with me you want in this next week or the week after say hey michael let's let's go somewhere and you're going to you going to want to cook for me i will take you up on that offer uh and learn from you so again let me pull out my sermon. All right. But again, it is great to be here with you again. And Pastor Aiden, thank you for such a warm uh, welcome. Uh, Let's begin with a scenario. I suppose a Fortune 500 company, uh, we live in Minneapolis, so let's say it's Target did some research, they're actually number 33 out of 500. Well, one day, target employees receive an internal memo. Uh, It's from the CEO. And profits have been down for some time, and so the upper brass, they've decided to make some big sweeping changes. They're going to, and it includes their business model, um, core values. They're even going to change their beloved uh, name and their logo. As you can imagine, such an announcement caught everybody by surprise. I did say this is fictional, okay? Um, It just didn't seem like the CEO's ethos. But the memo did seem legit until they found out as they did some digging, it uh, it wasn't sent by the Target CEO, rather by an employee of Target. Specifically, not just any employee, but a, a cashier. Um, at a local store whose aim was to prank everyone. And he, this person succeeded. Everyone breathed a sigh of relief, continued with the Target way. I don't exactly know what that is, but with a Target way of doing things. All right. So you may be asking, well, what, why are you bringing up Target and the CEO and employees? What does this have to do with us? Well, true, true. You're not a business. Uh, You don't have a CEO. But as Target has a culture and a mission, uh, a philosophy laid down by the CEO and enforced by those under the CEO, trickling down to every single person throughout their corporation, Uh, the church, including this church, Covenant, Covenant Life, also has a culture. More specifically, you have a mission, one that you, nor I, nor anybody else in the global church created. We didn't come up with it. We came up with the Apostles' Creed, right? The Apostles' Creed created in early 300s. That we created. There's a longer story behind how that was created for those of you who want to learn more about church history. But the mission of the church, we did not create, it is not up for revision. This is a mission laid down by King Jesus. I, I learned quite a bit about this church the past week. I went in last Sunday, not not knowing a whole lot. And then I went home. Uh, you have a membership class last week. Do you have one today as well? Anybody? Yes? So I took your handouts, and I sort of was perusing through them uh, this past week, and um I saw a few interesting facts. He started in 2010. And I don't know all the details, but I know for some of you long timers, and sorry to disappoint some of you newcomers, but the church has weathered a lot of difficult changes. Am I, am I correct in this? You've you've gone through a lot of a lot of things. And you were uh, brought into our presbytery in this this January, and you're now what's called a mission Church, You're a part of the Siouxlands Presbytery, a mission church. Basically, what does this mean? For those of you who don't know, and I know you've covered this or will cover it in your membership, this has everything to do with the sermon, so just hang with me for a moment. It means that you're without a permanent governing body. That's what it means. And that you're not self financially self-sustaining. It's a combination of those two things, okay? Uh, And until... You have a permanent governing body, that is elders, and you've been assigned assigned a temporary session, temporary uh, elders and leaders. And these are comprised of men who are elders within other churches of our presbytery, of which I also am a member. Uh, Hopefully, you will um, eventually be self-sustaining and you're going to have your own elders, right? That's what what we're praying for you. That's why other pastors have been here, and that's why I'm here uh, today and for the next uh, few weeks. Hopefully, again, you're going to be self-sustaining, have your own elders. You'll then be what our book of church order calls a particularized church, particularized. And until you do, until that point of transition, you're going to be referred to in our presbytery As a mission church, that's what you are. Now, here's the thing. Um, That language can be a bit misleading. Because it it sort of suggests that once you become a particular church, particularized church, um, that, that the mission somehow changes. You've sort of graduated, so to speak, from your mission. Um, and although you're going to certainly face many changes in the months ahead, it could be big changes. I even saw in your handout last week, uh, should we change our name even you're, you're talking about that as far as I understand. And there will be other changes as well. At some point, Lord willing, amongst this group of people, you're going to assign, uh, of, uh, nominate and train uh, Let me back up. You're going to train, identify, train, and then nominate and install elders among you to, 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 to be a part and oversee and help shepherd this, your, this congregation. But Lord willing, again, years ahead, one thing is never going to change. One thing should never, ever, ever change, and that is your mission. Okay, you have a mission. All right. A little bit longer introduction. Please open your Bibles or look on screen. Uh, Matthew 28, uh, 16 through 20. As far as I know, I I did did research in the archives uh, of your sermon archives. I don't believe, and Pastor Aidan can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that this passage uh, has ever been uh, preached on. I could be mistaken, but if, if not... Well, if so, this will be a refresher on some level. But please follow along with me as I read this text. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. After I read the text, uh, I will say this is God's word, and you, I would ask that you would say thanks be to God. Okay? Pretty straightforward. All right. Um, and actually, before I read, let me pray. Let's pray. Father, help us now again as we humbly and expectantly turn to your word. And so to that end, open our ears, our eyes, and our understanding. And help us, by your spirit, to see Jesus more clearly. And so may we worship and delight in him all the more. For we pray in his name. Amen. And now our text. Now the eleven disciples And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. All right. Let's back up from the text for a moment and just get some context. Let's get our footing. Imagine Jesus' disciples. For those of you familiar with the gospel narratives here, particularly at the end of Matthew's account, of Christ's life, his death, his resurrection. Um, The disciples were feeling very afraid, and they were confused and disoriented. I mean, who can blame them? The one they thought was the Messiah, brutally extinguished, and along with that, so were their dreams, right? The triumphant Messiah, gone, so what happens next? It had to leave them feeling even more discombobulated. I've enti- I've titled this sermon "Move Out: The King's Parameters," and here's the plan. Next Sunday, uh, there's, I'm hoping to have a part two to this. Okay, uh, it'll be called "The King's Prescription." So today, parameters move out the King's parameters. Next Sunday, move out the King's prescription. And in fact. And then there's a break, retreat, two weeks from now. And then I preach one more time, at least, I'm aware, for the summer. It'll be a continuation, sort of an unpacking, almost a part three, but a separate standalone sermon of sort of how to flesh out uh, the mission, fulfilling Jesus' mission, within your particular uh, group and individual context. So I hope that you uh, dig into the text you talk amongst yourselves, and you're, you come expectant. So again, I talked about the context. Before the resurrected Christ gives the Great Commission to his disciples, he first appears to two women, uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. And he tells them to send a message to the 11, that is, the 11 disciples. And here's the message. Meet me in Galilee. Meet me in Galilee. And if you're reading the narrative, initially it doesn't seem too significant, except that the angel in the empty tomb also told them that Jesus would meet them in Galilee. Okay? And so Matthew records in verse 16, Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So here's where a Bible with maps comes helpful. For those of you who own a paper Bible, or if you're looking electronically, it helps as you're reading things, whether it's in the Old or the New Testament, to look for reference. Kind of where 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 is this referring to? Because right, we don't we're not living there, and we're not most of us aren't familiar uh, with that part of the world. Uh, well, Galilee was over 60 miles away from. Jerusalem, and it's where Jesus was crucified. And it would have taken a a full day at least to travel there. And so this reunion that Jesus sets up of, of Jesus and his disciples likely happened one to two days after the resurrection. Now, it's one thing for the disciples to hear this directive from Jesus himself the resurrected Jesus himself, but Jesus, this is important, he first gave the directive, the order, to the two Marys, who were then to tell the disciples. Now you're asking, okay, well, why is this so important? Because before the resurrection, again, a couple of days before this account, you know, the, the our present text. Namely, from Good Friday to Easter Sunday, their lives were turned absolutely upside down. Their emotions had to be all over the place. To tell them go to Galilee and meet him there, they likely had little sleep, and their emotions are are all over the place. But now to travel for a full day, to meet Jesus. And they did. And Matthew writes something that I think is incredible. This is incredible. Again, think about the context, think about the setting. All 11 disciples made it. They all made it there. Their reaction to seeing Jesus, the risen Jesus, is telling. If you look at verse 17, Matthew's narrative is they... They worshipped him, but some doubted. Which begs the question, what's the ratio of those who worshipped and those who doubted? Was it an either and? Or an e- or? pardon me, an either or? Or was it a both and? Well, Mark and John give similar accounts. The latter saying that Jesus rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Now, what's important to know for our present uh, sermon is this. Jesus gave this great commission that is in this text today that he gave to them in Galilee to 11 doubting, worshiping, yet obedient disciples. That much we can agree on according to what we understand from the text. Well, this afternoon, I want us to focus on what precedes and follows Jesus' command to go and move out make disciples. This is what I call the parameters of his command which Lord Willing will unpack next Sunday. So just stay tuned for that. Parameters meaning boundaries. And if you look at the text, the parameters reveal two things and they both essentially sandwich the great commission itself. In other words, the resurrected Jesus doesn't just merely show up in Galilee and reveal, uh, he doesn't merely show up and command them to make disciples. Now, he certainly could have done so, but he didn't. And his parameters bracketing the commission told the 11, and they tell us right now two important things, two things that if he didn't say them, I, I suggest would make the disciples' motivation and ours today to do what he says to be very difficult. Indeed, without these parameters bracketing the Great Commission, I I wonder if the Great Commission would have even been short-lived. Okay. Well, let's get to the parameters. The first parameter is this. Jesus has power. Look with me at verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Indeed, this is part of what puts the great in the Great Commission. And I don't know if you've noticed, but look at all of the alls in this passage. All authority, all nations all that I commanded you with you always. But Jesus first sets down this, this parameter, all power is mine. All power is mine, not just over people, but over cosmological forces. That's the in heaven part. So by starting off interacting with his disciples, what's he doing what's his, what's his intent he's about to tell them something they're about to the, to be they're to be about the business of 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 the king he's reminding them who's in charge it's as if he's saying to them, "Remember, remember my miracles, remember my healings it looked just like a couple days ago. It looked like death had won, but no, I was in charge all along. My kingly power and rule goes so far as to make dead people, including me, come alive. So I'm not just your savior or the Messiah, but I possess total and absolute power and authority as the rightful king over all things. So I'm about to tell you what you're about to be doing, This is who you're dealing with. So what I'm about to say to you, indeed, command you, pay attention. Because at the end of the day, it's not up for debate or deliberation, because I'm about to command you something. uh, Something that you're to be about, namely, the king's business. This king's business. Now here is a window into why um, Jesus telling the two Marys to tell the 11 disciples to meet him in Galilee is important. On the one hand, they're having a sort of reunion where everything began in Jesus' hometown, the beginnings of his early ministry. That's That's why he said go to Galilee. But here's another reason why. Galilee is vital to understand the Great Commission because his directive to meet him there was a not-so-subtle test of their obedience to him. It's, it's kind of like a pre-command before the Great Command, you know, in verses 19 and 20. Yes, they worshipped. Matthew says some doubted. Maybe instead of sort of two uh, drastic poles, right, complete worshiping and belief here, and then complete doubt here. It was sort of a mixture, a combination of doubt and belief. Is there anybody here who really can say with a clear conscience, uh, I I never have any doubts about Jesus, ever, about anything in the, the Bible or anything about my salvation, anything about who he is or what he... We all do, okay, if we admit it. We all have doubts, no matter how strong your faith may be. Oftentimes in the church, we see, though, spiritual faith and doubt as, as two polar, extreme, incompatible opposites. Writer Osguinness once said that doubt is never far away from faith's shoulder. For some of you, maybe it's, The other shoulder, well, guess what? You're not alone. Maybe you're a disciple of Jesus, and you have been for quite some time. Maybe you're a newer disciple of Jesus. Maybe you're trying to understand what is this Christian faith all about anyway? And you read about how the disciples worshipped him and some doubted. I think most of us living in this complex hybrid more often than we... uh, We live in this more complex hybrid of faith and doubt more often than we'd like to admit. And yet here's the thing they take their belief, no matter how feeble it may have been at that point in time, they take their doubts, they take their whole selves, and do what? They do what he says. They do what he says. Tell them to the angel, tell them to meet me in Galilee. Okay, the two Marys, we just saw him. You got to meet him in Galilee. What do they do? All 11, make the full day trip and meet him in Galilee. Again, a day's journey away. And, and so it is to those obedient ones that Jesus then commissions. All right, this is important. Are you tracking with me? You with me? All right. Thanks again for coming closer. I can see your your I can't see your faces I can see your eyes. it's just so much better all right while Jesus giving uh, commissioning while Jesus commissioning these worshiping doubting obedient ones should encourage Christians today, so it also encourage you if you're not a Christian. how so? Don't you think it's remarkable that the gospel narratives include this very frank candid admission of doubt and unbelief mind you not just to anybody not just to bystanders you know not just to the larger crowd at hand but to the the 11 these are to the 11 who were with him for his 3 years of earthly ministry and right after jesus's resurrection before commissioning them to the great task, here's the thing: the writers could have they could have spun it, they could have omitted that that portion of the text, and if not them, then those after them who gathered compiled assembled these eyewitness accounts, but no. The fact that this candid admission of unbelief and doubt among christ's own disciples only lends more credence to their testimony. So that should encourage you, for those of you here who are, who are exploring the Christian faith, and I hope it does. Well, let's get back to the first parameter. Jesus has all power and authority. In a way, he's saying, I am the cosmological commander, and I'm in charge of everything absolutely everything so listen up take heed be careful to do exactly what i say the apostle paul he only reiterates jesus's absolute kingly power in his letter to the colossians in chapter 1 he writes that by jesus all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities—all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Right? You see the see the 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 what it has in common with the parameter, the, that first parameter. I'm in charge of everything's. Paul just is, is unpacking that a bit more. Now, while I call this in parameter, a parameter, in some ways it's not quite accurate, because here's why. Jesus' power and kingly rule is not confined by boundaries. I don't want to suggest that. He's not limited. His power and his kingly rule is absolutely limitless, and it permeates everything without exception. Now, certainly Jesus could have commissioned his disciples to make disciples with just this parameter. Think about this. Uh, Emphasizing his power. But instead, he adds another dimension. If the parameter of power provides assurance, he's in control, right? That's how it provides assurance. He's sovereign, He's almighty. He's all-powerful. This next parameter is going to do something different. It's going to add and provide unspeakable comfort, and that is his presence. And we see this, if you look with me, at the end of verse 20. Gives that parameter, right? The first one, he just gives them something to do. That's next Sunday, so stay tuned. We'll get there. I am with you always to the end of the age. So yes, he's telling them he's the king, he's sovereign, he's powerful, absolute ruler in charge of everything. But that parameter alone, I I I think, would make the commission short-lived but a cosmological king who also promises his presence? Think about it. He's with us. He's with you as you go about his business, not just for an allotted time, not just for this generation or the one after you, but the ones that have preceded you, the ones that will follow after you. His presence is with his church forever and ever and ever to accomplish what he wants accomplished in and through you. Isn't that amazing? Think about it. This is amazing. We can only guess. We can only guess what the disciples how they were processing this promise. Again, four days earlier, he died. They thought they were alone. And he's soon to ascend and sit at the Father's right hand. This is what's happening. So he's resurrected at this point. At the end of the text, he's not yet ascended. He's soon to ascend, sit at the Father's right hand. We just read about that. We we profess that to believe in the Apostles' Creed to rule and reign forever as our perfect prophet, priest, and king. But before he leaves, and right after he commissions them, he looks at them and he promises, I am with you always, forever and ever and ever. And of course, Luke records in Acts Uh, the giving of the Holy Spirit, to indwell and empower and comfort them and us as we go about the king's business of making disciples. All right, those are the parameters bracketing the Great Commission. Do you see how they, these two parameters, his power and his presence, might have landed on them, on the 11th? How it would shape how they'd hear and fulfill the Great Commission. Again, their emotions all over the place. They just saw their Messiah killed and crucified, they left him. And two days before that, he's back. What? They make the trip? They're they're fried, they're tired, they're hungry, they're weary. What what is happening here? How it would shape how they'd hear him to fulfill it. He's in charge. And he's with us. Not either or. He's in charge and he's with us. So relax, rest in him. He's got this, he's got us, right? And he's with us. And it would make obeying the commission not only a duty, got to do it. We said it. We got to do it. But a delight. An 18th century a Scottish preacher once wrote, Run, John, and work the law commands. Yet finds me neither feet nor hands. But sweeter news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and lends me wings. Here's the thing. Jesus, as our king, not only are he's the king of all. He doesn't really command us to go and make disciples. But his power and his presence enable us to actually do it. Okay? It's the difference, in a sense, between... Sort of a parent telling their child, ride a bike. Ride a bike. How many parents just said, if your parents said that, go, go, just ride it. There it is. Ride the bike. And you've never done it before. Is that how you learn to ride a bike? That's not how you learn to ride a bike. What do good parents do? Well, maybe they have their, (laughs) I had my, I had my other, my older kids teach them to ride, but that's a different story. The more kids you have, the more that you're off the hook. Uh, sorry, i got five kids. I'm not sorry for having five kids. At least not right now, but that's a different story. Um, they don't merely push you and let you figure it out on your own. The child is riding, right? And Matt, get this picture in your head. They're feeling the exhilaration. There's the joy and the terror of riding, but pedaling, steering, wobbling, afraid of falling until she notices a hand there on the bike helping keeping it upright. If she loses control, he won't, or she won't, right, the, the parent? In other words, the parent doesn't merely tell her to ride the bike. What, is, what does the parent do? He comes alongside of her to help her along the way. Yes, it is an imperfect illustration, of course, but here's the thing. With the parent and this child, how much more for Jesus, our King, and us today? The one who rules and reigns almighty, right? That's his sovereignty. He's wholly above us. He's not, right? That's what it's emphasizing. His almightiness, his absolute sovereignty over and above every single thing. That's what Paul is talking about in Colossians 1. But he's also imminent. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That's what the name Emmanuel means. And so these promises of power and presence are the parameters and they, they sandwich this great commission To go into the world and make disciples of King Jesus. (sighs) All right. Sounds good in theory, doesn't it? Yet here we are today, knee deep in a world, even our backyard, many uncertainties. Many uncertainties even for you, not just as individual people, you have dreams, you have plans, complicated lives, most of you, but as a church. Where do we go from here? What is this church going to look like six months a year? What, do, what, what, what will this church look like five years from now? Will we be even in existence five years from now? These are valid questions to ask. Here's the question How might these parameters of his power and presence help you individually and as a church right now? Right now. Well, I think there are many ways, but I'm going to leave you with just three brief practical points of application, just three. First, as the cosmological Christ, all things are under his reign. That includes coronaviruses, that includes uh, city living, it includes Complications in relationships, in school, in, in career, in the future. All things are under his reign. All meaning all. A new baby, the death of a longtime family friend, a relative. The uncertainties you have facing you, whatever they are, but particularly, specifically as a church that has to be about the king's business. Again, that's next Sunday. (sighs) To know that nothing, absolutely nothing, escapes his watchful commanding eye. The one in the hymn that we sing about whose eye is on the sparrow is watching over you and me right now. So that's the first thing. Second, well, let me recapitulate. First thing is everything is under his cosmological reign. Second, he's not only watching over us, he's not only over and above us, he's with us, he's with you so we don't have to face our present or our future alone. These promises of his absolute power and presence aren't merely doctrinal truths. Doctrine, right doctrine, right theology, hugely important. Big-time life applications. It's meant to be applied, not just known. They're truths meant to drive us to Jesus clinging to him both for comfort and care as our king over all things. So that's the second the second application. He's, he's with us. Third, and finally, even followers of Jesus experience a complex mixture of faith and doubt in him. So don't think all doubt must be eradicated from your life or else it means you really don't have faith in him. This ought to be comforting for you. Jesus takes broken people. Very, We're not robots. We're not automatons. Right? He takes broken people like you and me. He calls us to himself to follow him. So we can do that. Knowing he's big enough. He's strong enough. And yet he's merciful and loving enough to handle your doubts. He can handle them. Don't feel like you gotta resolve every single doubt, every jot and tittle before you you come to him or before you follow him. Come to him. Follow him with this complex mixture of faith and doubt, knowing that you are not alone in this. We all have, right? Look around you, you all have it. If there's any among you that are like are so cocksure amongst your for your Christian faith. Well, maybe you need a little dose of humility or maybe you don't know the Christian life. Maybe you're not following Jesus because he's the suffering servant. There's just so much there. I don't know how. Well, that's a different story. He's not surprised by you and your life and what's going on in your mind, in your heart. In the least... And just as he called and commissioned the 11 worshiping and doubting disciples in Galilee 2,000 years ago, so right now he's calling you and me to continue his mission. To be his disciple-making witnesses in a watching and weary world. And we do so knowing that we have a king. He's both powerful and he's present. He's transcendent. And he's imminent. He's over and above us, yet he's here with us, holding you, holding me, holding this church together. Doesn't that provide great comfort for you? It's meant to. The simple children's song is spot on. He's got the whole world in his hands. The whole world. Power and presence in King Jesus. Knowing that he's moving and working to make all things new in him. Again, we'll unpack. Those are the parameters. Sandwiching the Great Commission. I intentionally am not talking much about it. I alluded to it, I said what it is. Dwell on these parameters this week, dwell on his power, dwell on his presence and be ready to hear and dig into the Great Commission. Can you do that for next Sunday? All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, like the disciples, we too often vacillate between faith and doubt. We thank you for these various eyewitness accounts may these promises of Christ's power and presence not only comfort us, but embolden us to live our lives on mission for him, moving out into the world as his disciples among a broken people. And so may we point to and depend on our great king who rules and reigns over all and is in all yet who is also with us, abiding in us by his own Holy Spirit. Even amid pandemics, even amid complications of church life and uncertainties, how things are right now and unanswered questions in the weeks and the months and the years ahead. Oh Lord, would you forgive us of our unbelief? With Thomas we cry, help, Help our unbelief. And so would you have mercy and grant us repentance to once again turn to you as our rightful and loving ruler. Fill our hearts with the peace and joy of knowing Christ who is our resurrected Redeemer. Knowing that he has promised to always, always, always be with us. To be with this church as they move out on mission into the world as his witnesses, even to the end of the age. For it's in his holy and precious name we pray.